0: everybody has their own part to play in this business and, you know, everyone's ideas and everyone's experiments are greatly appreciated and we, yeah, we can't wait for their ideas to come to fruition as well and, and train them and hopefully they'll be budding venue owners, you know, 10 years down the track.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Thanks to a swathe of migration, Indian and food from the subcontinent is making a huge impact in Australia. Indian in particular, with the differing cuisines of its many regions, is blossoming at all levels. But what does Indian look like in a modern pub? Nick Woolard is the chef and owner of Jagger Daku, soon to be opened in Perth, Western Australia. Nick, how are you?
0: I'm really good, Huck, how are you?
1: Good. It's great to get you on the show. You're doing something a bit different over there in WA. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Something, yeah, a little bit different. Uh, A whole new concept that, you know, we've seen there's not a lot of it going on in Australia. And there's a little bit going on worldwide, but um, especially in America and in the UK. But yeah, Australia hasn't really seen this, you know, modern iteration of Indian dining as such.
1: Tell us a little bit about uh, Jagadaku.
0: So Jagadaku, we're a... um, a modern Indian gastropub, um, seating about two hundred people, um, right in the heart of Leederville, which is a a really vibrant, bustling suburb. Probably about three kilometres out of the CBD. Um, modern, really, really vibrant, bustling suburb here, Leederville. Um, yeah, super excited to show the suburb, show Perth, and show Australia what we can we can do as a you know modern interpretation of such a traditional um, food cuisine.
1: How do, how do you go about that with a gastro pub environment and um, doing Indian cuisine? Um, tell us about how it's different to what we might know
0: um so obviously you know for me um you know growing up as a as a teenager in the uk indian indian food was always such an extremely social sort of thing you know you'd go out you know we'd have we'd have beers and you know share a whole heap of food amongst groups of friends or you know friends and family so it's it's really about offering you know small and large plate dining um you know that really gets people talking and that super social aspect um that what you get in a pub but showing that Indian food can be bought into the modern era.
1: Does, does that uh, affect the sort of beverage offering that you ha- have in a pub environment, that sort of cuisine?
0: Um, Not really in such that, you know, obviously Indian food links really well to um, obviously beers. Um, also heading into the spirits where you've got those botanicals of gin. Whis- whiskey is obviously a very predominant spirit in Indian culture. Um, so the the beverage program that we're offering, you know, there's between one hundred and twenty to one hundred and fifty rotating wines, um, you know, and then an ever rotating beer and spirit list as well. So not real, not really as such. Um, if if anything, it gives us chance to play around with. Some really different wine pairings, obviously, with the style of food that we have.
1: Taking taking on a project like this is pretty huge—a a gastropub and something a bit different as well. How how did it all start, and how did you land on the site?
0: Um, so I was working. I've been up. I was up in Karatha in the northwest of Western Australia for six and a half years before working for a large restaurant group up there. Um, the two directors of Jagadaku, um, as they. Um they own a small traditional Indian restaurant up in Karatha. Um so I obviously got to know and I got to meet those guys and we spent a lot of time together and I took some time out and I left the, the restaurant group that I was working for. I wanted to spend some time a bit more time with family. Um, didn't originally wasn't planning on working nights much more. Well that's obviously changed a lot now. And I was and I was approached and you know they told me their their dream and what they wanted to do in Perth and they had this beautiful well what we anticipated would end up a beautiful site it was absolutely horrible when we opened the doors to it but um yeah the site was absolutely you know it's huge and they said you know would you like to be a part of it you know they knew they knew what my food style was and how I cooked and how I created. And they were, yeah, they were extremely keen to get me on board. And it was a pretty easy decision when I went home and spoke to my partner and the kids. And they were like, okay, sweet, we're ready to move to Perth.
1: <laughs> well, you mentioned that the site was quite horrible when you moved in. Give, give us an idea of what you were dealing with and how you've
0: transformed it. Absolutely. So the site originally was a, a very well known cafe um, in Perth culture. It was um, called Greens and Co. Um, there was a lot of, um, a lot of graffiti used to happen on the on the front facade of the building and they used to change it from Greens and Co to Greens and Cock. Um so yeah it's very very well known in Perth folklore. Um and over covid the venue shut down. Um leaving behind a, an absolute trail of mess and god knows what else in the venue. So yeah, opening the doors with We wanted to relocate the kitchen from where it currently was, so it was digging up big slabs um, completely. We had to. the ceiling and roofing had to be ripped off, brand new ceilings, brand new roof, whole new air conditioning systems, new gas lines, new gas supply, everything. It was almost like we were starting from a blank canvas. Well, I
1: want to explore sort of what that process has been like and also what you'll be doing there at Jakadaku. But take us back to when you were young. Where where did you grow up and what sort of role did food play?
0: Yeah, so I was um I was born in the UK, um, in a little little town just outside of about well, forty-five minutes outside of London, um, was where I grew up. Um and food um played a huge role. My father, um, he spent a lot of time working away. Um through his businesses that he had at the time. And it was always when when he was back home, food was always, it was the important part about bringing us together as a family. Um, He was a, he's an incredible cook, um, incredible home cook. Everything when we were children growing up was, there was nothing bought in, there was no processed food. It was always, everything was handmade. I remember him, you know, making, making beautiful pastas, beautiful pasta sauces, um, and yeah, dinner was dinner was always an always an occasion. If it, even if it was midweek, the table had to be laid, the table had to be set. So it was it was never sitting in front of the TV, you know, with a TV dinner on the on the plate on the couch. It was always sit at the table. Parents would parents would always there'd be a really nice bottle of wine always, um, and then heading obviously towards into the weekend being English. You know, a beautiful, a beautiful roast dinner. Um, whether it be a, a whole, a whole rib of beef or a lovely joint of pork, but yeah, everything, all the trimmings. He was always, always big on that. After a normally after a quick walk across the road to the pub for a, a pint of Guinness was always his um was always his Sunday tradition. And um, yeah, so that's really where my my love of food came from. Him and about bringing people together as a family because he worked away quite a lot.
1: You mentioned the roast, but was there any sort of dishes that you remember of your dad's that you look back fondly on?
0: Oh um the Sunday roast is obviously that is obviously the big thing. I you know the beautiful duck fat duck fat potatoes he used to make, all the all the gravies were everything was everything was made fresh, you know, with all the pan drippings. Um, he made an amazing lasagna was always a good little midweek meal for us. Um, yeah, and we used to eat out a lot whenever he was home and the opportunity to go to beautiful restaurants was, you know, it was always it was always there. Birthdays was always we were allowed to decide and choose if we wanted to go somewhere. So it was normally a trip into London. I remember going to back in the, you know, late nineties, early two thousands to some, you know, a beautiful Michelin star restaurant, or you know, being being able to decide and being able to see this life that you know, chefs in the hospitality industry had at the time.
1: When did you first sort of get an inkling that you know chefing might be for you and what was your first, sort of first foray in the industry?
0: Um, my first step into the industry was, as most people that are chefs and operators nowadays was washing dishes, um, yes, had a, had a little part-time job on a weekend working at a local pub, um, used to go in in the morning and was do, used to do their breakfast. Bit of breakfast prep for them, and wash their dishes. And a lovely, lovely old hotel, which, um funnily enough, the they have the Guinness World Record for the world's oldest bartender there. And um, she worked, and she Dolly her name was, and she worked until she was the lovely age of one hundred and one behind the bar. And yeah, she was amazing. And I used to remember her coming in and bringing me a cup of tea while I was washing the dishes. And yeah, just being able to step through and and be able, and the chefs, you know, bit of veg prep you know or you can help me fry the eggs today and you know everyone watching them all work together was amazing and you kind of it really did open your eyes a little bit to it
1: in the early years what were the sort of venues and people that you worked with that helped you sort of get your feet as a chef
0: yeah that was definitely probably after moving to australia so 2006 um had a probably my the first big mentor I had was by, went by the name of Josh Powell he had a big large cafe in Melbourne called Hobber um and they oh, on the weekends we'd have six or seven a four pages of waiting lists of names and phone numbers for people and it was like it was it was absolutely non-stop and he was Josh's ex, ex-fat dark and ex few demand, um yeah and we were and he was able to really really drive that super technique driven food but in an extremely casual environment
1: before we sort of go down the road of your experiences in australia what what made you move out here what was the what lured you down here
0: um so i've got my father's got um his brothers and sisters moved out here back in the 60s um and there was always always a dream of one day me being able to come out here and live and I spent a bit of time here as a teenager on family holidays, and I, I always loved it. And the opportunity came up, and I was like, right, I'm going to, as soon as I hit 18, I'm going to get a working holiday visa and see what this Australian lifestyle is all about. And um, came here, moved and travelled around the country, um, working around, worked for a little bit of um, some small dingy dives in Melbourne, up through Sydney, Um And up into Byron Bay, um, worked my way all the way up the coast to Townsville, Cairns. And um, about six months into the trip, I got a phone call from my father and he said that there was a job opportunity for him to move out here. Um, And he said, you know, would you like to... Maybe look at the opportunity of you staying as well, and well you didn't have to ask me twice really you know the sun, the sun, the sand and the you know the beers and the smiles and everything it really made it an extremely easy decision, so my father and his partner moved out here, and as we say, the rest is history I'm a yeah naturalized Australian now
1: <laughs> that that trip that you sort of briefly mentioned around Australia you know not a lot of not a lot of people get the chance to do that do you what, what did you take from that experience? Like how, how formative was that for you?
0: Um, it was great being able to um, just see, you know, even moving from town to town, state to state, city to city, the, the difference in, you know, the food cultures everywhere you go, whether it be, you know, in a, in a high-end restaurant or if it be, you know, just a super casual beachside cafe, you know, being, everyone did something differently and, It was all done in just an environment that seemed so relaxed and so almost chilled, whereas, you know, in the UK back in the late 90s, 2000s, late 2000s, everything was quite stiff. It's that relaxed Aussie lifestyle that I really saw and I really liked.
1: you mentioned that, you know, you made that decision and to stay in Australia and build your life here. What's been the really sort of important venues and people, um, for you, uh, as you built that career here?
0: Yeah. As I, as I said, you know, my first, my first real large venue in Mel- um, Melbourne Hobber was, you know, I'll always have the greatest of respect and love for Josh and what he did for that venue. And also what he offered me inside and outside of the kitchen, um, for me to be able to look at not just what goes on to put food onto a plate, but also from the business aspect of things in regards to, you know, how much it costs to turn the lights on, you know, how much it costs to to pay the electricity bill every week. You know, it's um, I find that especially that's what people, that's what people really need to know cooking. You know, people see it as this beautiful glamorous environment and, you know, stepping into business ownership and business partnership. People, people really need to know that it's not it's not easy and sometimes it's not fun it's you know it's a numbers game numbers game that you know we're not all pirates anymore it's um it's it's a business at the end of the day
1: you mentioned that you spent about six years in Caratha, but how did you end up in western australia in the first place
0: um i ended up in Caratha. um was probably the furthest point away from melbourne and at the time i'd been through a, a bit of a rough patch in melbourne um Working, I'd taken on I'd taken on some job roles that were probably a little bit over my head at my age, and fell into a pretty dark hole um, through some substance abuse issues, and you know a lot of a lot of drinking, and you know as as a lot of chefs do, they do fall into that, and you know I fell into the hole pretty deeply, and Carata um, was look as far away from Melbourne as I could possibly be, and I wanted to get away from there as quickly as possible, and. Um, I took at the time was just a thirty day um temp job role up there. And as I got there I met the owners of um what is now known as the Stardeck Group. Um the offer, offer got put out for a full time job and um yeah it was um it was pretty easy for me to get everything sent over as quickly as possible and start a new life in Western Australia.
1: Mental health and substance abuse and alcohol are, are pretty rife in the industry. And, um, but you managed to see sort of the signs and pull yourself out of there. What, what, what was it that allowed you to sort of push through and move forward and away from that?
0: Um, and a nurturing work environment. Um, being up there, the two, two business owners... Bart Parsons and Lara Ducey. Um, look, I've got absolutely nothing but love for them for them being able to see this, find the good in me. Um, you know, I, I knew I, I knew I was talented and I knew I knew how to cook, but it was being able to offer me opportunities in some, in you know the senior management roles to actually develop as a human being as well.
1: Tell us a little bit about Caratha. It's such a world away from Melbourne. Um, what was it about that place that you loved uh, that became a real part of your life for six years?
0: Um, yeah, so we had. Um, well, they've now got. They have four venues in town now. It's a little town of or city of um, about twenty-two thousand people, um, and we had um, their first venue was, is about. Oh, it's eleven years old now. It's called Blanche Bar. Um, sort of that, we'll call it a modern Australian restaurant, you know, good food, good drinks, really good, really good service, which was something that you never really saw in the town before. You know, it was all high-vis, thongs, palmies, and, you know, pints, pints of swan draft. And it was it sounds partner. great. <laughs> oh, look, absolutely fantastic. And, um, but it was that, you know, Karratha was was becoming a little bit more of a residential area as well, rather than just the fly-in, fly-out workers. And it was having that, offering for families and also the women, um, you know the partners of the you know people that work in the mines, being able to dress up and being able to come out for a, a fantastic dinner.
1: You mentioned you made that move out of Melbourne to change your life. How much did it change yourself and also your approach to cooking?
0: Oh absolutely the you know I spent I spent a lot of time when I was, you know, I thought I was. I thought I was fantastic. I thought, you know, sitting sitting on a couple of bottles of wine or you know, mm. into whatever substances were available. I thought that opened up my creative mind. Um. Now I look back and I was just like, I have no idea what was actually going on at the time, which was, mm. you know, extreme extremely sad. But now I can look and it's just having that clarity. Yeah. And being able to sit and really think about something and ask myself the questions before just jumping in at the deep end and going, let's just do something because I think it works. Now it's putting something down and going, all right, let's work on this minute by minute, day by day. Can this be done?
1: Before we get to the project you're on now, tell us a little bit about your approach to cooking. Is there any sort of um, dish or ingredients that you use that sort of typifies your cooking?
0: Yeah. Um, I lo- love, love, love cooking seafood. Um, it's been a been a passion of mine for years. And obviously up in Caratha we had an absolute bounty of beautiful ocean fish, whether it be coral trout, crayfish, scampi, you know, and it was all very, very readily available. And through the little wine bar that I was working at there, you know, we were ever changing menus weekly, um, doing monthly degustations, which we were the first people in the Northwest to start doing. And yeah it was it was it was it's a hard slog in a small kitchen with you and maybe one other person trying to trying to put out 600 plates of food in a for a service it's um but it was it was amazing to open up and be able to offer the city something completely different that they'd normally only get if they traveled to Perth or traveled to another major city
1: well, WA is renowned for some extraordinary seafood is there any um Seafood that jumps out to you as sort of your favourite and a, a way that you like to cook it.
0: Um, just a, a beautiful pan-roasted piece of coral trout is probably my death row meal. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, absolutely, absolutely stunning. It doesn't doesn't need anything else. It doesn't need I mean, most of the time doesn't need it doesn't need a sauce or anything. It's just you know a beautiful, perfectly cooked piece of fish is yeah something to be amazed by. And I love the the way that the way that it's treated and you know you treat it perfectly and it's going to taste absolutely beautiful you know it's the having having the respect for something that we've pulled out of the ocean and yeah treating it right
1: you mentioned the connections that you made with the other owners of uh jakadaku um up in Karatha. um but tell us about your approach to indian and your immersion into that world what's it been like for you
0: um, look, it's been absolutely amazing. I've got, um, I haven't, um, my uncle married into a Fiji, a Fijian Indian family as well back in the early 2000s. So there's always been, there's always been a little bit of Indian going to visit uncles. It's, it's always a beautiful, beautiful full table of curries and chutneys and biryani and everything like that. And, Obviously, again, coming from the UK, curry, you know, is so predominant, you know, the most popular food in the UK at the moment. And, um, yeah, being able to go out with my father, my family, my friends and, yeah, be able to sit there. It's always been something that I've always incredibly enjoyed. Um, but, yeah, the some of the cultural, traditional techniques of cooking, are, you know, they're still very new to me. Um, so, that this has been an interesting learning curve, you know, as we've been installing the kitchen, making sure you know we've put two large giant tandoor ovens that we've brought over um and being able to use these big clay ovens not just in a traditional sense for cooking naan bread example you know being able to see what we can do so we're exploring techniques of you know roasting whole chickens in the tandoor cooking pieces of fish in there you know to really see how we can utilize them in a completely different modern way
1: have have you seen the cuisine in a different way after this sort of immersion
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, everything is is very, very traditional and deep-rooted in not just a country's culture, but into a family's culture. Every family does something completely different. So, we speak to us. We've been interviewing chefs. They have one way that they've always done things because that was the way their mother or their grandmother taught them, and it's now trying to go well this is this is what we're trying to do and you know absolutely bring in you know tell us tell us more about how your family cook and let's see what we can do
1: you know bu- make building and making and opening your own restaurant is a dream of many in the industry but what what's this process been like for you you know building it from scratch what's been the sort of real triumphs along the way
0: um triumphs have been look at being able to being able to look, walk in walk in the door every day and there's bit, we can see progression every day you know six months ago we walked in and you know you couldn't even walk on the floor um but now we can walk in and there's dining tables there's chairs in there at the moment the, you know we can turn the canopy and we can turn all the stoves on and you know it's absolute it's absolutely amazing knowing that that's something that we've done um but there's been plenty of plenty of struggles um at the time um the i'll call it bureaucracy of many many cities and local councils and the red tape that we all have to jump through and yeah that's something i've never really seen and never experienced too much um but it's um yeah just getting all the all the sign-offs and all the approvals that are needed i've yeah never had to never had to deal with that until now and it's um it's been a learning curve to say the least
1: the last couple of years have been a learning curve for all of us as well with COVID and um, the ramifications of that on everyone in the industry. What sort of impact has it had on you? Have you taken positives and a different approach to your craft since then?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We were we were incredibly lucky in Karratha, Um when COVID happened. Um, you know, we were almost in this little pocket of of nothingness really you know we got the we were actually in the process of one of the venues we had was an all all day dining we did breakfast lunch we did dinner we had a little bottle shop in there as well and we had all always spoken about turning it into a little wine bar and um we sat there and we were in the middle of pulling tables and chairs out outside to start repainting and we got the message that, you know, Mark McGowan had said that, you know, we're, that hospitality is, you know, no, <laughs> pretty much no more for, you know, dining in. And we sat there and we were like, well, this is almost the perfect opportunity for us to do what we really wanted. And we we spent, I think we were in lockdown for about 12 or 13 weeks. And we spent the time completely renovating the venue into a, a beautiful wine bar. Um, we bought all the four kitchens that we had together. And literally within probably I'd say six hours of being in lockdown, um, the um, operators had already takeaway ma- take menus were done. We were already we were ready to go, and we sat there and we launched takeaways. And because we were stuck in a in a small little town, we we thought, what else can we do? So we spoke to all of our suppliers and did what we could, and we we started advertising. You know, whether it be a meat pack or a seafood pack or fruit and vegetable packs, and um, we were lucky that we have um, we have got a tavern license with the ability to sell alcohol as well, takeaway. So we we turned we turned our restaurant into what can only be described as this magnificent, you know, produce store. And we had cool we had cool room trailers delivered up to us. And I put I put the knives down for a while and I jumped in the car and became a a glorified Uber driver, and it was. Look, I absolutely, I I sit there and I absolutely loved it. You know, there were so many of our regular customers that would come in every week and I'd cook beautiful food for them, but it was lovely to be able to turn up at their front door with a beautiful box of fresh seafood from our suppliers in Perth and be able to drop that so they were able to cook and they were able to have that experience at home. Well,
1: you're on the cusp of opening the restaurant or the pub. Um how, how are you feeling and, and what are you looking forward to, you know, when you swing the doors open?
0: Oh, how am I feeling right now? Um, very, still, still very nervous, but incredibly, incredibly excited. You know, I've got the, the full support of my friends, my family, my lovely partner and her children and my children. And, um, yeah, we're all, we're all extremely excited. The kids are, the kids are over the moon to be able to what they call come into their own restaurant. And, um, yeah, I'm I'm really really excited to be able to build on something to you know and build on a future for those guys and us as a us as a family and be able to offer them you know hopefully some lovely opportunities in life hopefully
1: Tell us a little bit about the food. What's what sort of is there any a couple of dishes that you could share with us that sort of exemplifies that Indian gastro pub offering?
0: Yeah, so we're um, offering, the food offering will is split up into a few sections, so we'll be offering some extremely small bites when people walk through the door. Um, obviously, India has a traditional what they call pani puri, which are a little um, wheat dumpling that are hollow in the middle and normally filled with a, a tamarind or amarat, uh, aromatic water. Um kind of really doing a bit of a, a play on that where we'll be making our own whipped cods row and we'll be piping the whipped cods row into the into the pani puri ball and just topping that topping that off with a um, little bit of scampi caviar from the northwest um really nice nice little salty snack just to get you get you started um and again working um whole chicken roasted in the tandoor which is still an extreme work in progress but i'm i'm extremely excited about it you know roasting it completely completely whole um just retain as many of those juices as possible and then a, a really nice pink peppercorn and duck fat sauce over the top of it wow yeah
1: that sounds amazing well, you're doing a very exciting project over there, and um, had the most extraordinary sort of change in your life as well over there in WA. What do you love about what you do?
0: Oh, what do I? Um, what do I love about doing what I do? It's definitely about bringing people together. You know, cooking or providing an experience for people where you know they walk out with a smile on their face. They put they put that first bite of food, in there and then you can see the see their excitement that they're able to try something different. Um, again being able to meet people from all over the world um you know we have a, we've got an extremely varying staffing group um coming in at the moment and yeah every everybody has their own part to play in this business and you know everyone's ideas and everyone's experiments are greatly um appreciated and we yeah we can't wait to for their ideas to come to fruition as well and and train them and hopefully they'll be budding venue owners you know 10 years down the track
1: Well, Nick, it's an absolute honor to catch up with you today to hear just a part of your story. Good luck with the venue opening and um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon.
0: No, thanks Huck, I'm looking forward to it.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.